Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Canada EHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And if you're a fan of Canadian History X, make sure you check out my other shows, From John to Justin and Canada, A Yearly Journey. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. It helps keep this show going. All right, on with the show. A listener's note, the following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. For 40 years, a war waged over a very small island, far to the north, beyond any permanently inhabited settlement. If you stood in the middle of it, you could see Canada's Ellesmere Island on one side, and Greenland on the other. Every few years, Canada and Denmark claimed it for themselves by sometimes sending troops and sometimes sending scientists. And every so often, even a politician. Back and forth, the war raged, all for control of barely a dot on a map. The rest of the world watched, but how many died in this 40 years war? No one. How many shots were fired? None. How many hooch was devoured? Quite a few, as it turned out. I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X. Before I begin today's story, let's go to our map. Now, go ahead and quickly find Hans Island. I'll wait. Find it. Chances are you didn't. Hans Island is a speck not even a dot of an island, located between Greenland and Ellesmere Island, with an area of only 1.3 kilometers square, about the size of a city block, with a maximum elevation of 168 meters. Aside from that, the island is rather unremarkable. Made of about 640 feet of Silurian limestone, dating back about 440 million years, on the surface it's yellowish-brown with glacial sediment left over from the last ice age. There are no trees, no grass, just a big rock sticking out of the Arctic Ocean. The Inuit likely knew of the island for centuries, and it probably served as hunting grounds, but until the mid-part of the 19th century, it was unknown to Europeans. 
Now, it may have been visited at some point by the Vikings during their voyages a thousand years ago, but there's currently no evidence of that. And you may remember from my episode on the Franklin Expedition that the Erebus and Terror went missing in the late 1840s and Americans, British, and Danish ships went looking for them. They never found them, but they did map huge areas of the Arctic, which is when Europeans first gazed upon Hans Island. According to Denmark's claim, they reached Hans Island in 1853 on an expedition that included Hans Hendrik. He saved the lives of several men from his ship when they journeyed too far away from the ice. Upon their return to dry land, Hans was given two barrels of flour and 52 pounds of salt pork as a reward for saving the crew, as well as the name of a small rock in the Arctic, Hans Island. He was the first Inuk to publish an account of Arctic travels because he went on many more expeditions, including British and American ones, for the next 25 years until his death in 1889 at the age of 57. He would never know that for the next 150 years, this tiny rock named after him would become one of the most famous islands in the world in a decades-long border dispute. So how did it start? For that, we turn to Greenland. Now, I won't go into Greenland's long history or the Inuit who have lived there for centuries, but here's what you need to know for the purpose of today's story. In 986 CE, Eric the Red led 14 boats to the west coast of Greenland and established three Viking settlements. The Norse remained there until the early 15th century when the world fell into what is now called the Little Ice Age and temperatures plummeted. Skip ahead to the 1600s, when the Kingdom of Denmark and Norway the successors to the Vikings of centuries past, sent out expeditions to find the lost Norse settlements of Greenland and to assert their sovereignty over it. Remember that around the same time, the Hudson's Bay Company was formed and, in 1670, had legal title over Hudson's Bay, but it didn't include the Arctic Islands. By 1721, the Danes sent settlers to live in Greenland, which prospered over the next century. Then the Treaty of Kiel was signed on January 14, 1814. It effectively split Norway and Denmark into two separate nations. Norway contested that Greenland was under its dominion, while Denmark stated it was theirs. Of course, no one took into consideration the Inuit who had lived there before any Viking ever set foot on Greenland or asked them for their opinion on the matter. Meanwhile, seven years after the treaty, the rest of the Arctic, including the islands in the north but not including Greenland, were added to the Hudson's Bay Company charter by the British Parliament. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Half a century later, in 1880, Canada amassed more land when the adjacent territories order was signed. 
Now bear in mind, Rupert's Land, which had been Hudson's Bay Company territory, had already been transferred to Canada in 1870. So this order transferred the ownership of any remaining land in British North America, called the British Arctic Territories, to the Dominion of Canada. This included, in the writing, all islands adjacent to any such territories, whether they were visited by Europeans or not. Essentially, it transferred islands that were not even on European maps yet. As you can imagine, other countries with a claim in the north, such as Denmark, the United States, and Russia, considered this dubious at best. But at the time, no one saw much potential in the Arctic, so the issue died away quite quickly. That is, until the 1920s when Hans Island was once again reached by Europeans, this time a Danish expedition mapping the territorial waters of Greenland. And yes, Norway and Denmark had been arguing over who had claim over Greenland this whole time. In 1933, there was finally a resolution when Norway and Denmark took the matter to the Permanent Court of the International Justice, which decided in Denmark's favor, and that seemed to be the end of it because then Hitler invaded Poland a few years later kicking off the Second World War, and there were more pressing matters than who owned a small island in the Arctic. Hans Island simply fell back into obscurity for the next four decades. Occasionally, Canadians would venture to the island to set up a temporary scientific station or do topographical surveys, but it attracted little notice from anyone else. Then, in 1972, it was deemed important for Canada and Greenland to determine their borders, and a group from the Canadian Hydrographic Service and Danish personnel went to Hans Island to determine the geographic coordinates. As it turned out, the border between Greenland and Canada went straight through the middle of this little island. Now keep in mind, this island doesn't really have anything on it. As I said, it is wholly unremarkable. But countries can be a lot like children. Even though no one cared about it for decades, neither side wanted the other one to have it. Thus began the Whiskey War. On December 17, 1973, the first glass was poured when Denmark and Canada submitted their Continental Shelf Treaty to the United Nations. At the time of its submission, it was the first boundary developed by a computer and the longest shelf boundary treaty ever negotiated. The treaty listed 127 points extending over 2100 kilometers, from Robeson Channel at the far northern tip of the Canadian Arctic and Greenland, down to the Davis Strait, situated between Baffin Island and Greenland. But the boundary had a small gap in it of 1.3 kilometers from the northern tip to the southern tip of Hans Island. Neither Canada nor Denmark could agree who owned it, so neither side officially had it in their territory. This oddity was covered in the Vancouver Sun when they wrote, The island, Hans Island, is of little value in itself, and is about a mile long, surrounded by ice most of the time, and the area is so windy that nothing, not even snow or ice, remains on the rocky island for long. The article goes on to state that while few people have ever set foot on it, whoever controlled the island could potentially gain hundreds of square kilometers of ocean floor between Greenland and Ellesmere Island that could be worth billions if oil and gas were found. Beginning in 1980, Dome Petroleum did research on Hans Island and in the waters around it to see if there was any oil and gas deposits. Each summer until 1983, the company went to the island. At the same time, John Munro, the Canadian Minister of Indian Affairs and Northern Development, was working on an arrangement with Tan Hoyam, the Minister of Greenland, that would allow both countries to conduct research around Hans Island. I'll also add here, there's a lot of Danish names, and I hope I pronounce them correctly. 
The concern for both countries was that if either country had people on it long term, it would qualify as an effective occupation and help uphold a claim of sovereignty on the island. The two countries also signed an agreement to protect the marine life of the region, especially when it came to offshore hydrocarbon exploration. Now, neither country knew that Dome Petroleum was on Hans Island, conducting its own research, and an unnamed scientist spent a summer on that island in the early 1980s, and he made a hat that said, Hans Island, Northwest Territories. In 1984, Ken Harper, a writer and historian, saw that man wearing that hat while in Resolute, an Inuit hamlet on Cornwallis Island in Nunavut. Intrigued by it, Harper wrote a story about Hans Island, which was printed in the local newspaper in the Northwest Territories and in a newspaper in Greenland. A Danish newspaper in Copenhagen then picked it up, as did CBC Radio. News of Hans Island spread, forcing both governments into action. A few months later, the Danish minister for Greenland planted a flag on Hans Island and left a note that read, Welcome to the Danish island. And he also left a bottle of schnapps. The Danish government then stated that a visit to Han Island was just part of a northern tour, and the flag raising had no relevance to Denmark's attitude towards who controlled the island. In response, Canada went to the island soon after, put up the Canadian flag, and left a bottle of Canadian Club whiskey. In 1988, a Danish Arctic Ocean Patrol ship arrived at the island, built a cairn, and put up a flagpole with the Danish flag on it, and left another bit of alcohol. The country returned in 1995, putting up another flag and flagpole. Now in the pre-internet age, this barely caused a blip in the news cycle. It would be another 20 years before the Whiskey War really became headline news. On August 13, 2002, a Danish inspection ship poured the second glass of this war when they arrived and put up a new flagpole and flag, finding the 1988 flag long gone and the 1995 flag tattered. One year later, Denmark returned and replaced the flag once again. And by 2004, climate change was becoming a major issue. Once the Arctic melted, it would open northern shipping lanes, and there was a concern that if Canada did not assert its authority over the north, it would lose out when it came time to claim its resources. Russia, Canada, Denmark, Iceland, and Norway all regarded the Arctic seas as national waters within their borders, giving them access to the shipping lanes and resources. The United States and European Union regard the region as international waters without any restrictions from other countries. On March 23, 2004, the Canadian federal budget was introduced by the Liberal government, which saw a small increase in national defence spending. During the budget debate, Stockwell Day, then foreign affairs critic for the Canadian Alliance Party, raised the issue of Hans Island, stating it is an example of the failure of government to provide more funding to the Arctic region to assert Canada's sovereignty. Soon after, Brian Herman, the only Canadian diplomat in Denmark, was summoned to speak with the Danish Ministry of Foreign Affairs to provide information on Canada's intentions regarding Hans Island. On March 25, 2004, Adrian Humphreys of the National Post wrote an article about Hans Island, further raising its profile among the Canadian public. Six days later, the Danish and Canadian governments both denied that any Canadian official was summoned to speak to the Minister of Foreign Affairs in Denmark. Six months later, the Canadian forces conducted a military exercise 2,000 kilometers south of Hans Island. Planning for the exercise started in September 2003, well before the issue of Hans Island emerged. 
But the optics and timing weren't great, and the Canadian government denied it had anything to do with the dispute. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The exercise took place from August 9th to 30th, 2004, involving 600 Canadian forces and personnel. Regardless, the issue was now in the collective consciousness of Canadians. And this was just the beginning. On July 20th, 2005, then-Canadian Defence Minister Bill Graham visited the island to assert Canadian sovereignty over it. Five days later, the Danish Foreign Office stated, We consider Hans Island to be part of Danish territory, and will therefore hand over a complaint about the Canadian minister's unannounced visit. On August 18, 2005, the HMCS Fredericton left Halifax for a month-long patrol. The Canadian government said it had nothing to do with the Hans Island dispute. Then, two more vessels, the HMCS Glace Bay and the HMCS Schwinnigan, were all sent out on patrols. Canadian soldiers landed on the island, placed an Inuit stone marker called a Nookshuk, and a plaque, and planted a new Canadian flag there with, you guessed it, a bottle of whiskey. And while it may seem serious with ships and troops visiting the island, overall the entire issue remained light-hearted. The Danish Foreign Office stated, When Danish military go there, they leave a bottle of schnapps, and when Canadian military forces come there, they leave a bottle of Canadian club, and a sign saying, Welcome to Canada. Both sides also agreed that the dispute was an archaic thing, and that it should be resolved somehow. Danish Prime Minister Anders Rasmussen said, It is time to stop the flag war. There is no place in the modern international world. Countries like Denmark and Canada must be able to find a peaceful solution in a case such as this. In August 2005, both sides agreed to no longer tear down flags since they were NATO allies, but they couldn't stop troops from leaving alcohol or plaques. Both sides would also inform each other of activities on the island. And despite this agreement, both sides still claimed the island for themselves. Pierre Pettigrew, then Canadian Foreign Minister, stated, Hans Island is part of the Canadian territory. I have made that very clear this morning, as we have for many years. Per Stig Moller, the Danish Foreign Minister responded later in his own press conference, stating, Let me emphasize that this arrangement does not in any way entail any limitations to, or weakening of, Denmark's and Greenland's claim to Hans Island. We will continue to make routine inspections of the area. The dispute eventually went digital. Denmark bought advertising on Google stating the island belonged to them, and the Canadian government responded with its own advertising stating its claim. And to keep things light, the Canadian Foreign Affairs Ministry stated, that as a goodwill gesture, Danish pastries would be allowed in Canada. 
In March 2007, both Denmark and Canada announced they would be installing automated weather stations on the island in the summer of that year. And beginning in 2012, the two countries began to negotiate on how to deal with the issue of Hans Island and finally bring an end to the dispute. Six years later, on May 23, 2018, the countries announced a joint task force to determine the boundary between Canada and Greenland in order to decide the island's fate. So, how was the dispute finally resolved? The harmless dispute would have likely continued for some time, but then something much more serious brought an end to the debate over Hans Island. Russia invaded Ukraine. After the invasion in February 2022, Canada and Denmark decided it was time to set an example and resolve their border dispute in a peaceful manner. On June 14, 2022, the Canadian and Danish governments signed an agreement to divide the island in half along a natural fault line. The agreement was signed at 50 Sussex Drive, the Ottawa headquarters of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society. Um, and also, we've been able to settle the issue of this small but important island in the Arctic, which is called Hans Island. So it's a win-win-win. It's a win for Canada, it's a win for Denmark and Greenland. It is a win also for Indigenous people. It brings a lot of clarity um, and, and it, it brings a lot of visibility. It, of course, maintains access and freedom of movement for Inuit and local people. And I know that Aluki will be talking about that uh, a bit later. And it shows fundamentally that through negotiation, dialogue and good faith, we're able to settle important and, and, and difficult issues. As a result of this treaty, Canada and the Danish realm now share an international border 1.2 kilometers long. Once ratified, this island will contain the third shortest land border between countries and the northernmost land border in the world. This agreement also ensures the Inuit residents of both countries can move freely on the island and the surrounding waters. And prior to this agreement, Denmark and Canada only shared one land neighbor, Germany and the United States respectively. After signing the treaty, Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie and Danish Foreign Minister Jeppe Kofet exchanged gifts. And if you guessed they were bottles of alcohol, well, you were right. Kofet said, We see a gross violation of international rules unfolding in another part of the world. May this agreement inspire other countries to follow the same path. This time, no one poured out a glass for Hans Island. Instead, that bottle of schnapps found a new home at the Canadian Museum of History. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our look at Hans Island. Next week, we're looking at the legend himself, Stan Rogers. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, BBC, Global News, CTV, CBC, The Telegraph, Wikipedia, National Geographic, Canadian Geographic, Politico, Adventure Canada, Sandbox, Vancouver Sun, Montreal Star, North Bay Nugget, Victoria Times Colonist. This show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of Dila Velasquez. Audio production and design by Rosalind Kufor. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoy this podcast, then please check out my other podcasts, From John to Justin, Canada, A Yearly Journey, Pucks and Cups, and Canada's Great War. 
We love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those in my show notes. Until next time, I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X.